Keeping it simple this month, just Ryan and me. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tired, but in the best way. A couple weeks ago, I finally taped the stand-up special. Thank you if you came out, and if you didn't, I'm excited for you to see it. And though it feels like an enormous weight is lifted, my sleep has gotten worse. Once we shot the special, I said, I'm going to take a break from drinking beers. I've been doing a lot of stand-up to prepare, and it's lovely to have a beer before a show, and one or two after the show as well. My body got used to it before bed. Now I think it's unsure of what to do. I've been waking up at weird hours to think about that submarine. Don't worry. I will not stray far into the realm of topical humor that belongs to Jim Fallon and social media, but it was interesting to discover that there's a whole world of personal submarines that previously held little space in my imagination. Perhaps it was the same for you. Last week, I was up at 3 a.m. and watched a YouTube documentary about the construction of a deep submergence vehicle called the limiting factor through which they had to forge a titanium ball for the guy to sit in. Yes, it was a rich guy with a ponytail. Like some other DSVs, the vessel appears elaborate, but the core is just a sphere. Perfectly constructed titanium ball, machined to the finest increment so that it will be affected equally by pressure across its surface. In the documentary I watched, a large shiny ball traveled all over the world. It was forged in Wisconsin, cut in California, tested in the pressure chamber in St. Petersburg, before being shipped back to Florida to be assembled and tested. So then this guy and all the other submarine guys are climbing into their balls, waving to the crew they fired, and then lowering themselves all the way to the bottom of the ocean. They go 7,000, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000. Nearly 11,000 meters, 35,000 feet, breaking records as they reach the deepest part of the seafloor in their spheres. Their crafts go deeper than any craft has gone before, then slows and settles just above the seafloor. In the incredible silence, they say, I did it. I did a remarkable feat. And that has been making me laugh. Thinking about a human sitting all alone in the titanium sphere at the bottom of the ocean, 
nominal amounts of water on every side, declaring themselves triumphant. It is a feat, but I wonder if they are down there watching a couple translucent shrimp swim around and thinking, this is it. Okay. Wow. I got the billion dollars. Got me a sphere to go deeper than everybody. And, uh, yeah. yeah roll credits, because I don't know what else. It's hard to know. They might experience a peace you and I can't imagine, insulated from everything else by miles of water in their warm titanium womb. Curled up like the star child in 2001, perhaps they're on their way to enlightenment down there. But probably not. The guy in the documentary still had a ponytail when he came to the surface. If I was that type of person, I would be afraid of the, you know, the feeling of what comes after winning the Super Bowl, returning from the moon, beating the game. There can be an emptiness behind certain kinds of success. My friend Jack Benzinger did a joke about it this week when I performed on his show and I asked him to record it for us. So, you know that feeling when you finished a big open world video game and you're just walking around, there's nothing else to do. It's just, you're done, but the world's still there. And you have this kind of third person feeling like, like God turned the house lights on, on earth. And you're just seeing the grid of everything and you're just feeling like you're wandering and have nothing left to do on earth and then you kind of see a character who you've never seen before in the game and you walk up and talk to them and they have more things to say than anybody else in the whole game and they kind of have no point it's just a character that can kind of ramble infinitely there's no quests they're just they're just there at the end that's you joe para that is a very high compliment, and a character I would love to play. Seems far-fetched, but it can happen. I got to do another dream role and play a mound of soil who does paperwork in the new Pixar film Elemental, so you never know. Here's director Peter Sohn describing my character, Fern. You know, he's essentially made of soil. He grows plants out of him. He's been watching... His whole world grow around him being stuck down in this, you know, bureaucratic earth-like city hall. And, uh, um, yeah, you felt, you felt perfect for it. <laughs> thank, thank you. What's funny, Joe, is your character, Fern, was probably one of our more easier characters to design. Really? Then, yeah, I mean, he was hard to simulate with all of the ferns that were growing on him. But... Your body and your face is all made out of soil, your character, and um, that was easier than the simulations for a, a character made, a, a face made out of fire or water. Well, I'm glad the, the, it wasn't my character who got the animators aggravated or. <laughs> I think the, 
most aggravation with your character was getting soil to fall off your face when you when you started moving around on at the table. I wanted to talk with Pete. Not only is he a passionate animator who has worked on many great films, but you may also recognize his voice from Ratatouille, in which he played Emil. I was curious how he managed to sleep while in the process of making this new film that took seven years. I remember you talking about how many test screenings you go to for the film. Did you lose anybody in that process to sleep? Yeah, there's a lot of... um, We have these little screening rooms at Pixar where all the animators and artists show their work. And so you're always sitting in these couches looking up on a a um, semi-biggish screen. But you're never falling asleep because it really is this fun game of these artists showing little pieces of the film to you in these nascent forms. And so it's always really exciting because something's coming alive, you know, something that was frozen and sort of dead looking all of a sudden got injected with all this life. So you're always feeling like you're witnessing some birth of something. So rarely do you ever fall asleep to that. When we first met, you were telling me that uh, while working in New York, you were doing a lot of evening driving. Yeah, that's right. I love it. Is that... It's a way, for me, a way for me to relax and take a load off. Yeah. I still do it. I will say my favorite drive is to do the island of Manhattan, coming down the, uh, the Henry Hudson Parkway, getting onto that little bit of the George Washington Bridge before it turns into the West Side Highway up in Harlem somewhere, and then just coasting down there. At a certain point around in the 50s, like 54th Street, it turns to lights. And uh, once you get down to there, it's just, you know, like I've done it like one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. And uh, when there's no traffic on the highways around there, and you turn on some music, it's a real magical drive. From that point all the way around down to Battery Park, and, and then getting up to the FDR, and going all the way around uh, to see both the Hudson and then the the river on the other side. It's pretty magical when there are no cars around. Uh, That's one of my favorite routes. Did you get any ideas from doing that route? All the time. You know, the thing that I do is that uh, I hop in the car and, uh, you know, I had a pack of CDs when I I was in high school. And uh, um, I would just put in movie soundtracks not knowing what the movie was, just to see what images it would conjure as I drove around. So I'd be buying soundtracks of movies that I'd never seen and put them in and then drive around the city uh, or anywhere and uh, um, see what the music would do to the imagination. And uh, yeah, a lot of stuff came from there for sure. That's lovely. Anything um, in, in this upcoming film coming from an evening drive? Yeah, there was a time I was driving up in San Francisco. Um, Pixar is located in Emeryville, which is just outside of San Francisco. And uh, um, I drove up the Twin Peaks in the middle of the night. And uh, um, up there, there was a view of the whole city. And I remember being overwhelmed by um, the Market Street, because Market Street kind of cuts through the city. And at nighttime, it's this little black line throughout this colorfully lit city. And uh, I just remember feeling overwhelmed by so much of whatever 
I understand about my identity comes from the people that I loved. And uh, so that, that little idea sort of, you know, found its way into this film about, you know, what are the elements of who we are? It's, it's interesting when you're making a film. When I found when I was making my show or I'm deep in the project, the most tired and worn out, that's when moments like that seem to come. And it's not, you're worn out most of the time, but that's that's when the stuff like that that feels meaningful happens and the epiphanies. Yeah, what do you think that is, Joe? Why do you think that? Is it just because our guard is down, or what is it? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Just being very tired. And yeah, yeah. Constantly, I don't know. Mm. I think the, the process of making something is you're looking for something and trying to go deeper into whatever you're looking for, even if you don't know what yet. And it yeah. reveals itself, but it's a process of getting worn down to kind of find that stuff. Yeah, it really it really does reveal itself, doesn't it? That's a, it's an amazing, it feels like a law of nature. These days, I'm more about thinking while walking rather than in a car. The talking with Pete reminded me of a reflective piece I wrote on the evening of my birthday nearly six years ago. It's about taking an evening drive and is set in the summertime, so I figured it'd be a nice thing to share at the end of this episode. Where will I be ten years from now? I imagine some night in July 2028, when my kids are in bed, I'm gonna take my classic car out for a spin. Nothing fancy or expensive, but nice. Maybe a 68 Skylark or 70 Chevelle. Going for a drive, I'll tell my wife as she finishes the dishes. I'll pull out and lower the convertible roof as I head to pick up my day. I drive up Medale Street, take a right on Greenfell, another right down Crescent, then turn back down Medale into my driveway as my wife closes the front door quietly as possible so to not wake our kids. My wife is my date. My date is my wife. We cruise past the empty baseball diamond and she takes her hair out of the ponytail to let it blow in the open air. Should I tell her, I wonder? I should tell her. Honey, you're still wearing your dishwashing apron. I know, she says without pause, in case I drip any ice cream on myself. Why would I even want to go out with anyone else? I give the Chevelle a little extra gas as we cruise across town to Shaw's for a comb. It's not real ice cream at Shaw's or anywhere else, at least as we knew it. In an unusual move during the war, they wiped out all of our cows. A country I don't want to name released a biological weapon that was meant for us, but it only affected cows for some reason. I forget the exact science, but after that, we nuked Australia. At least in North America, life is pretty much the same, except we eat a lot of goat now. 
Everything that used to be made of beef is now goat meat. All dairy products are from goat's milk. And the ice cream made from their milk isn't bad. Not as much flavor, but not as much fat. Either way, it's not worth worrying about because it's the reality now. My wife gets two scoops mint chocolate chip. I get cookies and cream. And we're sitting eating them on top of a picnic table because I don't allow ice cream in the car. I know, same as my dad. But I really try not to overdo it with rules. We're cool parents and let our kids watch American Pie Unrated Edition every day, even though they are five and six. We live in London, Ontario. And it ends there because I got tired of writing and went to bed. Maybe I'll continue it sometime. Knowing I'll be eating goat's milk ice cream in London, Ontario felt good enough. And I hope that feels good enough for you as well. That you're on the edge of sleep, if not asleep already. Good night, and have a wonderful July. Sound and music by Ryan Dan, including pieces from his album Songs to Fall Asleep at the Wheel To, and thanks to Peter Sohn and Jack Benzinger. Produced by Grant Farsi for Chestnut Walnut. And thank you for your support on Patreon. This month, especially Lauren B., Derek M., and Jonathan M. Sorry to Australians for that one joke. Uh, before you go, Pete, yeah. do you have a favorite comfort movie? A favorite comfort movie? Um, yeah, it is um, uh, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. It, it is one of, you know, it, it makes me feel like I'm in a nice snuggly couch every time I see it. <laughs> <laughs>